the last few nights we've talked about the meaninglessness of a few things uh, when we live our lives under the sun, S-U-N, and not the sun, S-O-N. So we've talked about the meaninglessness of, wo- of work and of wealth. And, um, and last night we, uh, we talked a little bit about the meaninglessness of just kind of the struggles that we have in life, the adversity we face. So all these things ultimately at the end of the day meaningless because our lives are so short. The author of Ecclesiastes is telling us they're like a vapor. So outside of our connection to and relationship with our meaning maker, these things ultimately become meaningless. And tonight we're going to be talking about the meaninglessness of life in a world filled with limits. That outside of our relationship with our meeting maker, um, our lives are so short and we are so limited. Um, a number of years ago, Dean and I hosted a pastors and wives cohort for the uh, Acts 29 Church Planning Network, a network we're part of. We hosted it at our church, and it was a soul care um, sort of soul care institute, soul care time over three years. We'd meet once a quarter, and we'd have these sort of Yoda guys come in that were like just soul care gurus and church planters, and like they knew the drill, and when you shook their hand, it was like a strong handshake, but like soft hands at the same time. It's like older guys that were strong, who knew where you had been, were such an encouragement, and one of the sessions that really impacted me the most, um, I think us the most, was a session that we devoted entirely to limits and losses. And it was an interesting session because leaders um, experience a lot of loss in the life of the church, especially. Um, there's a lot of loss, a lot of relational loss, a lot of different kinds of loss that comes along with leadership. And leaders also don't like to be reminded that they're limited. Leaders like to think that they can do whatever they want and uh, whatever they sort of put their mind to. And we live in a world where that's just not true. And so as leaders, we have to make peace with our limits, and we have to accept our losses. And, uh, but that's not a leader thing. That's a human thing. Leaders aren't the only ones that need to deal with their losses in a healthy way and accept their limitations in a healthy way. Human beings need to do that. It's not just a leader thing in the midst of the church. That's a Christian thing. Christians need to do this. And recognizing our limits is a good thing. We live in a world that says we can do anything. We live in a world today that says you can be anything. You can identify as anything. You can be anything. You can do anything. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, that is actually not true. Like my, my parents grew up telling me, like, you can become whatever you want to be. And the reality is, like, I will never be a center in the NBA. Amen? Right? I'm not, not going to, right? I'm never going to be a spokesperson for, like, Hair Club for Men. Right? That ship has sailed. Like, it's over. Like, it's not going to happen anymore. Right? Um, and on a more serious note, like, I have, like, I would love to reach as many or more people than one of my childhood heroes, Billy Graham, but it's just probably not going to happen. And you know what? That's okay. Like, I have limitations, and I should learn, I need to learn to live within the God-given limitations that I have. And the quarterly soul care reminder was, um, uh, retreat was a really great reminder to me that I am a limited person, and that's okay. And I need to accept my limits. And we're the kind of people that don't like to accept our limitations. And so God is good in his grace to give us some, even some that we don't like. <laughs> and uh, the teacher's going to point out four of them here in this passage this evening. And I'm going to point us to the first one. It starts in verse 2. Will you look at it with me? It says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in the evil cause, for he does Whatever he pleases. The only person that's close to being limitless is the king, right? The dictator, the monarch. For the word of the king is supreme. 
And who made he say to him, what are you doing? The first thing that the teacher draws our attention to this evening is that political power reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Will you say that with me so we can just kind of remember that together and we, we, I hear it back from you? Let's say that together. Political power reminds us that there are limits on our lives. And that is a reality that we all face. Actually, the author of Ecclesiastes uses a word power or a word like power four times in this passage. And it's meant to tell us something. That there are powers beyond us. There are powers outside of us. There are powers over us that that place limits on our lives. And there is perhaps no greater power in any culture, in any society, than political power. The, the political power is the power that governs us and it limits us in certain ways. The greatest power that governs the limitation of human beings in any culture is, is the government system they find themselves under. That, that government controls them in a sense or limits them in a sense. And there are political systems that that place greater limitations on people, right? Dictatorships can place the greatest limitations on people. Communism places greater limitations on people. Socialism maybe loosens those a little bit. Capitalism, a a free market capitalistic society like ours is meant, is supposed to, (laughs) in theory, right? Give us more freedoms, and, and it does more than those, to be sure. And there's only so much freedom some governmental systems offer people that are under them, any government system can limit people's freedoms, as we have found out. Even our government system can do that. And I want to be clear, like, I'd rather live under our government system than any of the others, (laughs) okay? I'd rather be uh, a Christian who's an American than a Christian who's, you know, something else. Um, but, But our government can limit all kinds of things in our lives. Right now, there's all these funny debates, right, about gas stoves and water pressure and light bulbs (laughs) and water in the toilet. And obviously that kind of just rubs me the wrong way. I don't have a tattoo, but I think my first one might be don't tread on me. I mean, I think I might might do that one. I just, by nature, I'm just like, get away from me and leave me alone and just let me live my life and let my church live our life. Just get, just leave us alone, please. You know, like, uh, but I have a little, uh, I have a little work to do, as you can see. But there are bigger ones, right? I mean, over the last few years, we've just seen like, their government mandating vaccines, mandating all kinds of things for people, travel passports. Do you know that there are countries in the world now, ones that might surprise you that are doing this thing called 15-mile cities? That someday there are many governments, not totalitarian ones either, that are going to want people to live in cities that are 15 or 5-mile radiuses that you cannot actually go outside of a city that's uh, outside of your city, like 15 or may- maybe close to five miles, they want to bring it closer in. It was piloted in, in South Africa during apartheid. It's a, it's a horrible system of government. And there are systems of government around our world that want to place it on their people. Why? To limit them. I want to be really clear. This is not the God-intended reason that governments exist. Just as a, as a caveat, government exists... Um, with a derivative authority. All authority derives its authority from God, and when governments go outside of their God-given authority, uh, it is not a good thing, and it's not what God intends. This is not the God-given reason. God gave governments to contribute to some kind of order, right? We're not supposed to have anarchy. It's not going to be good for us as human beings. There are some limitations that we need. Left to ourselves, we would, well we'd go either further or ride than we are. 
but many governments, in reality, they, they lavish themselves while they limit people. We've seen that over the COVID season. We've seen all the politicians, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And that's just a normal thing. That happens. The author of Ecclesiastes is saying that is nothing new. So the question might be, well, what do we do with that? What do we do as Christians who, like, God has given us these political systems, and in some way they limit us. In a lot of ways, we might not like that. What, what do we do with that? What should we do with our political limitations? Well, verse 5 tells us, it says, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. I think there's two things that Christians should do. One, we should obey the laws the best we can. And, and especially if they are, um, well, if they're not telling us to do something God tells us not to do, or if they're not limiting us in doing something God has clearly told us to do, we should obey the law. But the second thing I believe is that we should use wisdom to look for ways that we can pr- preserve the things that we value in life, even in the midst of that system that might limit us. So even though political power reminds us that there are limits on our lives, God is faithful He's faithful to provide us a way to navigate some of those things. Even Christians that live under the the harshest governments in the world find ways with God's wisdom to navigate those systems and to continue to nurture the things that they value. That's why he says, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. And you know who did this really well? Jesus did this really well. Right? We, we see Jesus talking in Matthew 22 about this whole idea of paying taxes to Caesar. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. So we have the, like the religious leaders and the political leaders right? You know, conspiring together to trap Jesus. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Don't you love the flattery? It's true, actually. And you don't care about anyone's opinions. That's your true about Jesus for you are not swayed by appearances. That's your true as well. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, Jesus is using wisdom, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought it to him into denarius, and Jesus said to them, whose likeness is in the inscription? You know the story. They said Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. And they left him, and they went away. Jesus used a kind of wisdom under these political limitations as a human being, the God-man, fully God, fully man, a man living in the midst of a governmental system. Jesus used wisdom, godly wisdom, divine wisdom, in such a way that people marveled. My question is, is that the typical way people would look at Christians today (laughs) when we're talking about like the political realm and the political discourse? In my experience, Christians either resist everything or they comply with everything. I'm more predisposed to resist everything than to comply with everything. Some of you may be more predisposed to comply with everything, to resist everything. And there's very little nuance. There's very little wisdom. But this is the kind of wisdom that Jesus tells us to live with as his disciples under political limitations. Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Not resisting everything, not complying with everything, but be, being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I mean, the only defense for a sheep <laughs> in the midst of wolves is wisdom. they got to do something wise and crafty. they got to find a way to maneuver in the midst of a situation that is kind of dicey. 
And there are Christians all over the world that find themselves in much more politically dicey situations than ours. But as our political limitations unfold as Christians, and maybe we have more limitations as Christians, we're going to need this kind of wisdom. And you know what the good news is? (laughs) We have it. The good news is we have it. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, that that's, would be you and I who are filled with the Spirit, judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Paul says, but, but we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Do you believe that? Man, those are some blank stares. Will you say it with me? We have the mind of Christ? We have the mind of Christ, right? I'm not, we have, we, you do have the mind of Christ if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You and I can think like Jesus. We can live wisely under these political limitations. That is the good news. The bad news is there's something else about our lives that the teacher says will kind of limit us, and it's in verse 6 where it says, For there's a time and a way for everything, Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does, know, does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? I mean, the second thing the teacher tells us tonight is that our finite nature reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Will you say that with me? Our finite nature reminds us that there are limits on our lives. I believe this is true, and this is what the passage is, is telling us. And the limit to our lives as finite people that I believe the teacher's pointing to is our inability to predict the future. You know, most Christians that I know have a lot of clarity about their future. Like you and I, we know where we're going. Heaven is, we are heaven-bound people, right? We have a lot of clarity about a long-term future. And that brings us a a certain amount of comfort, doesn't it, in the present? So we have clarity about our long-term future and it brings us a certain amount of comfort But as finite people, and we are, we are limited by our finite nature, those same Christians that I know that have a lot of clarity about their long-term future and a lot of comfort from it in the present also have a lot of anxiety about their near-term future. And it, it, it presses in on them like a weight, the anxiety of it. That's why he says, it lies heavy on them. And that's because the truth is, we don't know what the near-term future holds. And here I think the author of, he- uh, author of Ecclesiastes rather, is, is, uh, is sort of looking back to this, this, uh, this song that he writes, this poem that he writes, a time for everything, right, under the sun. So we don't know if, if the, in the near-term future it's a, it's a time for someone that we know and love to be born or a time for them to die. We don't know if the next season is a time to plant or a time that we're going to be plucked up. We don't know if it's a time to, to break down or a time to build up, a time to weep or a time to, to mourn, a time to, to laugh or mourn, a time to mourn or a time to dance. We don't know if in the near-term future it's a time to tear or if it's a time to sow. And we don't know if it's a time for war or if it's a time for peace. We just don't know. We do our best to look at the signs, and that is part of godly wisdom. matter of fact, Jesus told his disciples to be keen, to look at what the signs are. We should be doing this. But we just don't know what's going to happen in the near-term future, and that can create some anxiety, can't it? And we do our best to prepare and to plan, and that's part of wisdom. We have mentors and we have coaches. We have financial planners. You know, we have prepper blogs we can read, right? We can, we can, no one? 
No one? I know. I know some of you, right? Some of you are, are, are listening. You probably should. Um, <laughs> so we, we, can pray, we, can, we can plan, and that, that's part of wisdom. But the truth is we just don't know. We don't know what the near-term future holds. And the teacher says it's not just that we don't know what the next season will be. It's that ultimately we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Look at verses 7 and 9 where he says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. Remember I mentioned all the four times he's mentioning power? There are these limitations, right? There's no discharge from war, nor wickedness, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given into it. All of this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done in the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Nature reminds us that we are limited in our power. Today on the Jeep tour, right, we're driving down the road to the stump, and I've driven it before um, on a sunny day, and I know that over to the left is just a sheer drop-off, right? But in the sun, I mean, in the fog, it was like the road to the trail <laughs> was just like the abyss was over there in the left, and we knew it. And Luke was in the passenger seat, and he just leaned over. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's like we are in the midst of a wilderness that's so much bigger than us. Nature reminds us that we are limited in our power. He says, no man has power to retain the spirit. Death reminds us that we are limited in our years or power over the day of death. Right? Authorities remind us that we are limited in our freedoms. There's no discharge from war. You can't just walk away. And our will reminds us that we are limited in our ability on the earth, nor wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Like our finite nature is a limitation on our lives. It's there. And God wants to redeem it in our lives in some kind of way to remind us that we are limited and our limitations are good. And again, the best we can do is use wisdom. And again, you know what the good news is? We have it. Ruiz understand the mind of the Lord to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Last time I felt like we said that a little tentatively. Can we say that with a little bit more uh, enthusiasm this evening? We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We do. We have the mind of Christ. We can think rightly about our political limitations. We can think rightly about our, our finite limitations. And we can use wisdom here. There's a third thing. There's something else. It starts in verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried they used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully to set to do evil. Wow, there's some cities in our country that could uh, read that today, right? Isn't that true? I think the third thing that reminds us, uh, the teacher reminds us of this evening is that injustice reminds us that there are limits on our lives. And that's a hard truth to swallow, but I believe it's true. I'm going to ask you to say it, even though it's a tough one. Would you say that with me? Injustice reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Right? There are so many injustices that we see and we experience. And as Christians, we even fight against injustices. And guess what? We should. I'm not saying we should not. It, 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 injustices kind of are, they're limited. They, they help to, they, they limit our lives in some way. And, and they're unhelpful in some ways, but still they Injustice is a kind of limitation on our lives. And as Christians, we should actually be pushing back against injustices. But at the end of the day, we will not be able to completely rid our culture of all these injustices. We live in a world that's filled with injustice, and it impacts our lives. You might be like, well, where's the injustice in verses 10 to 11? Well, like contextually what's happening is these are wicked people that are living in the city, and they're getting an elaborate burial in the synagogue. 
So what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is like, there are these wicked people that can live however they want in their lives. They can live as wicked lives as they could possibly live, but then they get like an honored burial in the synagogue. And we see that happening in our culture where there's people that we clearly know are like just wicked or ungodly people. They contribute to so much like harm in the world. And yet their memorial service seems like this huge parade and like triumph sort of sort of moment, you know, like we're honoring these people. And this is what he's saying, like that is an injustice. He's pointing this idea of these two, like two-tiered system of justice. And he's saying it's not right. And it places limitations on our lives that God never intended, but God is going to redeem because God can redeem all things. God can redeem even some of those injustice limitations to remind us that we are limited people. We are limited people and we are impacted by the injustice in the world. You know, the hope is that one day that injustice will come to an end and the author of Ecclesiastes, he pauses to remind us of that because when, when you and I think about injustice, I don't know about you, but it makes me upset. I don't like injustices. I don't like injustices. I don't like, I don't like bullies. I don't like, I don't like that. It rubs me so wrong. And, 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 and if you're like that, then it's probably something whispering to you of, of the nature of God. God does not like injustice either. I read this morning in my quiet time in Proverbs about how God, does not, God hates an unjust weight. God doesn't like this kind of thing because God is a just God. So the author of Ecclesiastes knows like we, we, need, we need to hear some encouragement here. So he pauses in verse 12 and 13. He says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. When I was a young Christian, as a young man, I had um, this, this painting or this photograph, lithograph or something that hung on my wall, and my folks got it for me, and it was a picture of a guy sitting by a stream and a tree, and it was, it was out of Psalm chapter, Psalm 1, you know, and it was one of those pictures where, like, if you looked at the tree long enough, you'd see the face of Jesus looking down at the guy, you know, but if you didn't know, like, you'd just see a tree, a guy sitting under a tree by a stream, and um, Psalm 1 says, therefore the wicked man will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Yet even with that said, the teacher knows that we, we all know what appears to be the greatest injustice on earth. And he, he points it out in verse 14 where he says, there's a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said that this also is vanity. Right? This is the age-old question. Why do good, bad things happen to good people, and why do good things happen to bad people? And, um, man, this is a whole other sermon. <laughs> but what I, what, I could do, what, I could, what I could do for now is just give you four quick things. One, there are ultimately no good people. Like my, my theology tells me there are ultimately no good people. And the doctrine of total depravity tells me that like we we could be more corrupt than we are, but like we are corrupted like through and through. Like there are ultimately no good people. That's 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 the first thing. The second thing is that God uses bad things that happen to good people to help them to become better people. And when I mean better people, I mean I mean more transformed in the image of Christ and his likeness. 
And um, that's a hard reality. It's a hard truth. But again, the author of Ecclesiastes just sort of shoots, down, or shoots really straight down the middle. I think that the third thing is that I think that God uses bad things that happen to good people to make them compassionate people. Um, I don't know about you, but I need, I need more compassion for the people around me. And, um, and I'm not really that good of a person. But when bad things happen to me, and I think they should happen to people worse than me, it helps me to be more compassionate for people. And the last thing I would just say is that the worst thing happened to the best person for the best reason. And that's really interesting to think about. That when we think about why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, we have to realize that the worst thing happened to the best person, but it happened for the best of reasons. And the gospel informs these questions. And again, a whole different sermon. But no matter how many explanations we can give for the presence of injustice in the world, and no matter how good those explanations explanations may be, and I think as Christians, we have actually the best explanations on these questions. At the end of the day, we don't live in a world that's just filled with some injustice. We live in a world that's filled with a lot of injustice, and it creates countless limitations on our lives. I might say, well, <laughs> well, Matt, then what do we do about it? You're saying, like, the meaninglessness of life in a world with limits. Like, if, if we have, if injustice is this big limit on our lives, what, what do we do about it? Well, he says in verse 15 what to do. He says, and I commend joy. And I commend joy. For a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. We should find joy in the moments and in the means we have. The life is, that God has given us. We should find joy in the moments and the means. There will be moments of reprieve. There will be moments of joy. There will be moments of rest. There will be moments of pleasure, right? There will be moments and there will be means. We talked about this a couple of nights ago when we talked about wealth, that God has gifted us with, with means. God has provided for our needs. God has given us, some of us, much more than we need. Some of that we should enjoy as stewards of God. That's what actually the book of Ecclesiastes says. We should find joy in the moments and the means we have that God has given us in this life. So injustice also limits our life, and the best that we can do is use wisdom, and again, we have it. For who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You and I have the mind of Christ, the ability to navigate injustice, and even to see some of those injustices and the limitations it places on our lives in some way as a good thing. To remind us that we are limited people, we need to be dependent on God. We have the mind of Christ. Would you say that again with me this evening? We have the mind of Christ. If you leave here with anything tonight, just remember, we have the mind of Christ. So even though he shared so much already, he shares one last thing and reminds us there's, there's one last limitation. Verses 16 to 17. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth. How neither day nor night do anyone's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. The last thing is that wisdom reminds us that there are limits on our lives. Can you say that with me? Wisdom reminds us that there are limits on our lives. I mean, three times here he says, he cannot find it out. And again, this is obviously meant to tell us something. The Bible 
repeats things to emphasize things. We cannot find it out. Even the wisest person in the world doesn't know everything in the mind of God. And that's probably a good thing. (laughs) How is it possible to have the mind of Christ then? And say, I think we have all that we need. We just need to use it. We have the mind of Christ. We just need to apply it. And even our wisdom, even the wisdom that God has given us as Christians reminds us that we are limited people. We have limitations. We're not always going to use the mind of Christ. It's it's there for us. Jesus grew in these ways. That's, That's the word that Luke uses. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Peter um, would write a letter and he'd say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like we all have room to grow here. We're limited and we'll never have all the answers we want, but we have the answers we need, don't we? We have the answers we need by the grace of God. We have the answers we need to in terms of how we can be forgiven for sin, how we can be reconciled with God, how we can have a relationship with God through Jesus. We're grateful for that. Even wisdom reminds us that we're limited. As we wrap up our time, if you think about it, you know, we, we were always meant to be limited, weren't we? We were always meant to have limits. God created us, our first parents, and put them in the garden, and there were very limitation, very little limitations. There was just, just one, just one limitation. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a limitation that was meant for our good. But we're the kind of people that don't like limitations. <laughs> we don't like to be told that we're limited. And you can see that in our first parents, that they didn't want to believe that life was better with limitations. And so they sinned against God, and you know the story, when they rebelled against him, sin entered the world, and oh, how many more limitations came along with that. Yet God is so gracious to use those limitations to point us and direct us toward him, to use the realities that that we know that we're finite human beings, you know, to to, to point us to, to, to the reality that there has to be something that's infinite beyond us. God was so gracious to us, and then eventually God was so gracious to come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and to show us what it looks like to live a life, in some sense, with human limitations. Read Philippians chapter 2 and look what Jesus did. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of men. He became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. I mean, Jesus... In God's wisdom, in the wisdom of God, Jesus lived within some of these limitations and yet accomplished something well, beyond limits. <laughs> you know, someday Jesus is going to return and you and I are going to be invited into a world that's hard to say. I mean, it, it, it's hard to say this, but I want to say a world without limits, but that's, I'm not sure that's true. But a world more the way God intended us to, to live. I mean, so, so many limitations that we have now will be done away with. We know that there will be a limitation, right? We won't be able to sin, so obviously it won't be a world without limits. But what a great limit that will be. <laughs> I will look forward to that day. I don't know about you.
And I think that's the good news. And I've told you I'd give you good news every night. Because by the end of any chapter of Ecclesiastes, you and I are going to need it. (laughs) I think the good news tonight is that we can live a life beyond earthly limits when we live our lives in Christ, who is the wisdom of God. There are all these earthly limitations that everyone faces under the sun, S-U-N, and we face some of them because we do live our lives under the sun, S-U-N. But by God's grace, we have the wisdom of God to live under the midst of, in the midst of those things because we're now living our lives under the sun, S-O-N. And by God's grace, we can live a life beyond some of these earthly limits because of what Jesus has done for us in Christ. I hope that's good news for you this evening, even in the midst of a passage like this. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that there's always good news for us because of you. We thank you that despite all the limitations we have in our lives, um, you redeem them for our good and even for our joy. I pray you'd help us to see us. You'd help us to see the good and the joy in some of these limitations. You'd help us to humble ourselves before you, that these limitations would make us more dependent on you in every way. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done with us, for us rather, to allow us to live a life beyond some of these earthly limits, limitations. Jesus, you've been so kind to us in so many ways, and uh, we want to say thank you. Amen. Tomorrow we're going to wrap up our time in Ecclesiastes, and um, we're going to get some better news from the beginning, you know? <laughs> we're going to be in chapter 12, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to take a look at what is the actual meaning of life, and the author of Ecclesiastes tells us. And like everything else, he just shoots it straight down the middle. He tells us what it is. And so we're going to look at it. We're going to rejoice in it. We're going to get a couple concepts that are going to help to ground us tomorrow evening. And uh, and then we'll wrap up this kind of little survey in the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's good to be present with you guys tonight. Thanks for opening up God's Word with me. And um, Yeah, thanks.